Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome to It Never Rains on this podcast. I'm Hithliday, I'm the managing editor for Addicted to Quack, it's a website. Joining me this week is one of the great writers for ATQ, Adam Holland. How you doing, Adam? I'm doing well. We're right back in the swing of things with uh, football going on and I'm ready to talk about it. Uh, yeah, I think we're going to uh, wind up doing an entirely football podcast this week. Um, you've written a couple of articles recently about the football team that I wanted to chat with you about. Uh, one of them was a recruiting update. Um, uh, Oregon in the month of September it looks like they've had you know two pieces of good news, one piece of bad news. Uh, why don't you recap them for us? Yeah, so um, we always want to start with the bad news first. <laughs> That's how it goes. Um, bad news is we missed out on Joey Olson, who is from Lake Oswego High School right here in the great state of Oregon. He was uh, rated the number one player in the 2024 class um, in the state of Oregon. But unfortunately, he's choosing to go south uh, to go play for Lincoln Riley and USC. So that was uh, a pretty significant miss. You usually want to try and hang on to the, uh, the in-state recruits. Um, a lot of times, like I said, you can get an extra little bit of loyalty from them. But at the same time, you're not always going to nab them all. And, um, you know, L.A. is a, a tantalizing place. And um, sometimes they'll steal recruits from us. But um, on the flip side, we got some good news with uh, the addition of another edge rusher. Um, seems like Dan Lanning's really starting to stock up on um, uh, defensive ends. And uh, this one <clears throat> is uh, Blake Purchase. Um, he hails from Colorado. Uh, he's listed at 6'3", 240 pounds, uh, defensive end. He held offers from Notre Dame, Iowa State, Colorado, Washington. Uh, but he is now uh, on with the Ducks, and he is the 18th overall pledge in uh, Dan Lanning's inaugural class. And so he would be the, uh, the newest member um, at least up to up to date of uh, Oregon's football recruiting under Dan Lanning, right? And, and the one right before that, uh, also in September, actually the same day as the Georgia game, I believe, uh, was Amari Washington, um, also a defensive lineman, but he's built more like a, an interior defensive lineman. You know, like he's two ninety five, purchases like two forty. So, um, so yeah, I I, th- I think you're totally right uh, about you know. Lanning really is stocking up on defensive linemen. Um, and, and it shows, uh, you know, that that's like his emphasis. Um, uh, you know, there, there was already, you know, Terrence Green uh, was another four-star lineman in the class. Um, and, 
and uh, and uh, Tatum Tuyati uh, and Jaden Moore, uh, a couple of three star, high three star edge players who had recruited, who who had committed uh, over the summer. Um, uh, yeah, no, it seems like you know he he's uh, you know that that's been the the primary thing that he wants to load up on. Um, you know, still looking for offensive linemen uh, in this class. I mean, Josh Connerly was technically a 2023, and then uh, and then he reclassified, and actually he played in 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 this week's game against BYU. Interestingly enough, um, but uh, yeah, definitely seems like you know the, the target's been defensive line. And the other thing about Joey Olson is, you know, it's a 2024 commit. There's a lot of time for for uh, maybe him to change his mind. Um, like I don't know, I'm not sure that that recruiting is totally over and done with. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, um, like I said, there's uh, still hope on that edge, and um, another one that I kind of um, locked in on um, hope-wise, obviously, uh, was uh, Matteo Ugalele, mm-hmm. who um, actually during the week of the game against Eastern Washington took a second unofficial visit to Eugene. And, yeah, uh, kind of under the radar. That was interesting. Yeah, and he um, he has been uh, quoted as, as saying good things about uh, what he saw and saying that he could he could he was watching very closely the uh, the defensive ends and the edge rushers and uh, right because he's an edge fit, rusher himself and yeah that he could fit pretty well into Dan Lanning's scheme. Uh, so that's, that's really good to have a player of that magnitude making a a second visit and showing significant interest in the program. Um, obviously like we were just talking about stocking up on edge rushers, um, he could, he could for sure be a difference maker, uh, like on, on par, um, with, with some of the ones we've had in the past, uh, you know, like Deion Jordan and Thibodeau and stuff like that. I, I really like this kid and, uh, keeping my fingers crossed for that one. Well, we're going to keep up with uh, recruiting at Addicted to Quack uh, throughout the football season. I, we're not going to let it get crowded out um, because it's important and it's year-round. You know, at this point, you know, I, I joked a little bit about Dan Mullen and recruiting season, but recruiting is 365 days a year. Uh, you know, and and uh, I'm Adam. I'm really happy with uh, you know the the fact that you've been bird dogging uh, you know football recruiting um, throughout. Uh, well, every single week because there's something that's happening every single week in recruiting. Right. Um, the other article uh, the, that you wrote most recently um, on Monday uh, was about uh, Oregon's pretty large running back rotation. Um, there's been five different guys uh, who've toted the rock uh, for Oregon on scholarship. Six, if you want to count um, Hassan Ritter, the 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 non-scholarship back who got a bunch of garbage time play uh, against Eastern Washington. Um Heck, if you want to treat Seven McGee as sort of a quasi running back, he's been used a little bit in that way as well. Um, it's a pretty big room there. It seems like there's a lot of debate uh, among the Duck fandom about like what that means, why that is. Do they need to get narrower? What's your take uh, on that question? Honestly, for me, it's it's just good to see the the depth and the development. Um, I agree with you about uh, Seven McGee. I I do see him as kind of like a DeAnthony Thomas type hybrid, where he just jumps back and forth between you know like kind of like returner, mm-hmm. receiver, running back. So it's hard to officially place him as a back at this point, but I think that he you know fits right in with that rotation pretty well. 
And then uh, the good thing to see, at least for me, on Saturday was how well we ran the ball uh, without uh, Cardwell playing. Um, I've I've personally been pretty high on Brian Cardwell. Um, I think that what we saw from him last year and given his size and ability, that he could turn into a really great back for Oregon. Unfortunately, he was dealing He's- with a little bit of a nagging injury. I think you're totally right uh, to to note what he did last year. You know, given that, um, you know, C.J. Verdell's injury, you know, against the Stanford game basically brought him up in the rotation, you know, to the number two guy. And, you know, his 6.6 yards per carry was the number one yard per carry average in the Pac-12, you know, for a minimum number of carries. I, I uh, uh, basically as a real running back, uh, he was kicking butt. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was unfortunate that, you know, minor ding. I've seen the same reports that indicate, you know, just a minor ding. Um, and, and honestly, like to me, I'm with you in sort of like, I don't care that it's a big room. Um, and, and to me, like the fact that Byron Cardwell was out and they had four other backs, including a true freshman, to carry the rock is like, yeah, exactly. You know, that's why depth is good. You know, like you have a guy who was literally number one in the pack 12 in yards per carry average. And, uh, he's, and he has a minor, you know, ankle tweak. I, I don't know if it was angle. I, 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 you know, I just mean like, it's a, you know, it's a no big deal kind of thing. Uh, and the, the staff doesn't say like, oh man, we really need him to play. Okay, we need to risk it, you know, with an injury, right? They just say like, oh no, go take a nap, Byron. You know, like oh, happy returns, take two weeks. You know, I, I don't know if they said two weeks. I, I'm just, I'm being jocular here. Uh, the, the But like, yeah, that's the benefit of having a, a big room that it, where you trust everybody, um, including the true freshmen. Um, and I got to say, you know, Carlos Lachlan, the new running backs coach, came in from Western Kentucky, where that was his only year of FBS coaching was was 2021 at Western Kentucky. He was not on anybody's radar screen. I have no idea how Oregon found him. Um, I wrote a whole article about him because I wrote articles about all of Oregon's new coaching staff. And I was like, I don't know who this guy is, but when I was reviewing the WKU team, like he whipped that running back room into shape. There was a reason why, you know, the head coach fired the previous, um, much of the previous offensive staff found Carlos Lachlan. I don't know how he found Carlos Lachlan. I was like at FCS Chattanooga or something like that. Uh, and, uh, he whipped that room to shape and then he's, he whipped Oregon's room into shape, you know, losing CJ Verdell and, Travis die at the same time, you know, the two guys who've been carrying the rock for Oregon since 2018. Um, you might think that that room would, would fall into shambles. And instead it's like the cup runneth over man. Uh, you yeah. know, five, five great backs. Like what a great situation to be in. It's, it's so weird to me that Oregon fans are like complaining about it. Or like, Oh, we need to pick like who the run to the litter is and, and get him out of the room. I'm just like, man, I, I disagree no. with that. Not when it comes to running backs. Depth is a great thing. I mean, depth is a great thing at every position. I don't know why anybody would think like running back is the one exception where you want to have a fewer number of people. Like that seems yeah. like, is it possible that one of these guys transfers out because he thinks he's not getting enough carries and that he's proven himself and he could go somewhere else? Yes, I guess that is a possibility. But like, but you have a deep running back room. You can afford somebody transferring out. Like, you know, like, you know, there's no. There's no question for uh, for which more depth is not a good answer. Um, I, I don't. Yeah, uh, it's 
anyway, I, I liked your article. I thought you made good points and I'm really glad that Oregon has a big running back room and, and I'm, I'm glad that you ran it down for us. Yeah. Thanks. It's uh, like I said, it's a very positive thing to see uh, considering where we were left at after last season. It's, yeah, definitely. Uh, it's not, it's not often that you'll have when you have two premier backs, which is something we've had the luxury of having for quite some time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's not often that you have two premier backs and then, uh, you know, both of them are gone. There's always, there's always kind of been like a little bit of transition when that's gone on. Uh, well, you know, when we thing- had uh, Jonathan Stewart and Jeremiah Johnson. Uh, John- Jeremiah Johnson was around for one more year after Stewart left. And then uh, when we had LaMichael James and Kenyon Barner, Barner was around for another year after James left. There's always been that kind of like tr- transition where it's like two premier backs, then you have the one still hanging around, and then that gets you to the next one. But yeah, to lose both at the same time was a kind of a shock to the system. Uh, but seeing the performances, um, especially on, on Saturday against a defense like BYU's from like Irving and Whittington, uh, great, great positive energy. And uh, really looking forward to that the rest of the season. Well, the other thing is, in addition to the fact that they lost, you know, two longtime backs who'd been there for a long time, it took a while for Verdell and Die to get up to speed. You know, like I've been, you know, I do film study in every single one of those games for this site. And like their vision and patience, like it took till 2021 to really see them, you know, hit the hit their potential. And with both of them gone and with these guys, you know, coming from disparate places, right? You know, Whittington's a transfer from WKU. Uh, Irving's a transfer from Minnesota. James is a true freshman. Um, Dollars uh, missed last year. Cardwell was a backup, uh, you know, and a freshman himself. Um, Like, this is a a young uh, room. Much of it was inexperienced. Uh, The other half of it came from other places um, where they were not the premier back. Um, And, uh and with all of them with a new coach and all of them in a new system, like this could have been a disaster, right? Like, in fact, you know, if you're playing the odds, like it probably should have been a disaster, but instead what a productive running back room. Um, like, yeah, no, I, Carlos Lachlan is whatever he's being paid, which I actually think is not that much. I think he's one of the least, uh, highly compensated position coaches in the PAC 12. Like he needs a raise, like what a great hire. Um, they're going to have a hard time holding on to him. People are, you know, who are in the know and who follow position coaching are going to want to poach him. Um, you know, Oregon is probably going to need to pony up the dough. Uh, cause he, I think he's really done a great job. All right, uh, let's take a break. Uh, When we come back, we'll uh, talk uh, more about the Oregon's game against BYU. All right, Adam, be honest. You see this coming? Um, I have to admit I was pleasantly surprised. Uh, I did think that we had a a much better chance of winning this game than losing, just considering uh, that BYU had just come off that huge upset uh, of, of uh, Baylor. So, uh, and, you know, that's a good time to catch a team in a trap game after they're coming off of the elation of beating another big team themselves. Plus, I, I wholeheartedly believed that the Austin streak would continue. Uh, did I see the dominance that the Ducks displayed coming? No, I, I have to admit, I did not see that kind of dominance coming. Um, I really think that, uh, that that was a, a potential real turning point. It reminded me in a way, um, you have to take it back a ways, but uh, 
the 2009 season, um, you you know you were kind of facing a similar situation. You had yeah. a uh, the Halloween a new coach, game, a new system. You know, lots of lots of kind of new players and everything. Um, in that situation, did we didn't lose as badly in the first game, but Boise State knocked us around pretty well. It was mm-hmm. it was not pretty. It was a, you know a, a flat performance, and then. Um, I think then when when Cal came to town a few weeks later, uh, and just the way we we, we destroyed them, I, I believe the final score was uh, 40, 42 to three, and uh, that was kind of like the statement that like you know what, regardless of what happened in the first game, this team is for real, and not only that, but that team had bought in to their new coach and and what he wants to do. And um, I think that this was that game where you saw that. You saw them buy in to what Lanning's all about. And that's, uh, you know, being physical. That's like attacking. That's uh, on the defensive end. It, you know, the, the performance by Knicks was awesome. And that was, that was like I, I noted in my article, this was, you know, the kind of reason why we should have been happy that, that we, we nabbed him in the transfer portal. But it, it, it begins and ends with the defense. And the way the defense just manhandled BYU. I mean, you could you could see the frustration building. They just could not yeah. get anything going against us. Yeah, you know, I felt like, um, you know, you always had to put in the copy. In my line of work, you know, writing the preview articles and the way that I write them, you always have to put in the caveat that, like, all of this goes out the window if crazy stuff starts to happen, which because this is college football, crazy stuff happens on a semi-regular basis and, and you just wind up looking dumb sometimes or like having to make this plaintive, like, no, no, if you look at the fundamental, like I know they got embarrassed, but if you look at the fundamentals, uh, they actually did perform exactly how I predicted. It's just, I couldn't possibly have predicted five special teams turnovers, which like you can't possibly predict five special teams turnovers, you know, or whatever. Like, uh, you know, stuff like that happens and makes you look stupid, but like, you know, I don't know if you have a sympathetic audience, maybe they forgive you. But anyway, no one had to forgive me after this one because I, I called this one happening exactly the way that it went down, which is largely, you know, I, I guess you could say because crazy stuff didn't happen. You know, Bonix didn't throw interceptions like nobody coughed up the ball. Um, you know, it wasn't until garbage time that, you know, weird stuff started happening and the game was so out of hand, you know, at that point that it didn't matter. Right. Like this is why you call it garbage time is, you know, it, you know, and this is why it's good to build big leads on people, you know, on opponents is so that like, okay, some nutty stuff can happen and it doesn't, you know, you still wind up winning by 27 or more, you know, whatever the margin was. Um, like uh, the, the, uh, in my preview of BYU, I guess I was, here's the reason why I think that that was, I'm still waiting to see what the real Oregon is. And I still think that that BYU game was not the perfect measuring stick is that when I did my film study of BYU, I was kind of shocked at how their rushing offense and their rushing defense um, success rate numbers are really bad. Like, and it just comes down to like, they're not as physically dominant in the trenches as they think they are. And like, I I had made this observation going back all the way to like October of 2021 last year, because remember BYU played and beat five PAC 12 teams last year. Um, Mm -hmm. I knew that I had to do this 
this project. And so I got like a, a year's, you know, jumpstart by making sure that I charted all of those games back in 2021, which was useful. Cause like, you know, uh, you know, I got to chart a BYU game right before they, you know, Oregon play BYU. I got to chart BYU versus Washington state, which was useful because Oregon was just about to play Washington state. But obviously I kept that stuff in storage, you know, and, and I did that for like, you know, all of, you know, uh, of, of Oregon's opponents. And I really just had to tack on two other power five games their game against baylor um in which baylor wiped the floor with them last year um they got their revenge this year um and uh virginia which is a real game weird game is like a shootout for some reason but anyway like i when i was finished running the numbers um even back in 2021 i was like this team is really vulnerable and it's a real indictment of the various pac-12 opponents that they played that they were not able to do to byu what baylor did to byu which was run all over them um and just shut down their run game which like any you know any competent power five team should be able to do that and 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 the fact that BYU went five and zero against the Pac twelve should tell you something about the competence level of Pac twelve yeah. football teams in twenty twenty one. But like, yeah, I was on the like I'm not real impressed with BYU train like a year earlier than anybody else. Um, that was me tooting my horn, I guess. Uh, and so like I was, uh, you know, I thought going into this game that like it, as long as there's no crazy stuff that happens, Oregon should win fairly comfortably. I didn't think it was going to be this comfortable, but I was predicting like a two to three score win. Um. You know, I wasn't predicting, you know, 38 to seven, you know, in the third quarter or anything, but you know, I, it, it seemed to me that the strategy of just run the ball down their throat and then make accurate passes. That was the other thing that I've been very pleasantly surprised with Bo Nix about is that like compared to Anthony Brown, I don't want to turn this podcast into dump on Anthony Brown. There've been enough podcasts about that, but like, um, Bo Nix, was a pretty accurate ball. Like he occasionally makes some dumb mistakes and I, I probably think a couple more picks are in his future this year. Unfortunately, um, it doesn't seem like you can entirely take that out of him, but just in terms of like ball placement, there's no drops. There's no inaccurate passes. There's no like forced passes. There's sort of one in this game, but even then the ball wasn't in danger. I put the clip in my article. Um, like, yeah, accurate passing, uh, running the ball, some eye formation runs, which like, oh my God, I hadn't seen that since 2004 when Andy Ludwig uh, was Oregon's offensive coordinator. Um, and then shutting down BYU's, you know, run game so they couldn't get their play action stuff, you know, started. I was like, yeah, I bet that's what the strategy is going to be. And lo and behold, that was exactly what it was. And I was like, hey, look at that. I, I kind of know what I'm doing. How weird, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, and you know, like I said, uh, you know, not not to dump on Anthony Brown or anything like that, but uh, last last season, uh, one thing you heard pretty consistently from me is that I referred to him as a game manager. He was mm-hmm. very much a game managing quarterback. Um, now, the difference between you know guys like Anthony Brown and you know guys like Justin Herbert are that one is a game manager and the other is a game changer. So uh, I have a little bit of uh, something to pick your brain with here. Do you think, and not just given what we saw Saturday, but just kind of given what we've seen throughout his career at Auburn and everything, that Bo Nix could take that step this year from game manager into game changer for Oregon? 
Well, he's got the arm talent. And frankly, I think that Anthony Brown had the arm talent too. And I just never, I mean, even to this day, I have no idea where the deep shots were with Anthony Brown. Like it's this enduring, maybe the greatest mystery of my entire career of, of doing film study and writing about the ducks is like, where did that go? Cause it's all he did at Boston college. Cause they had this very play action, you know, deep shot based offense. Cause it was lots of run, 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 run. And then he'd hit these deep shots and they were gorgeous passes. You know, I, I, I clipped out a bunch of them, put them in an article in 2020. Um, and then I, I, you know, I don't know where they went. I know that all, you know, every duck fan in the universe is like, well, Mario Cristobal jumped in and stopped him from doing that. I don't really think that's how football works. Um, like I don't really think the head coach try, you know, tells you that stuff. Um, I, I sort of think it came down to like quarterback coaching and I, I don't know a bunch of other, it's probably a much more nuanced thing than the head coach didn't want me throwing deep balls. Um, but whatever, you know, for whatever reason in between, his sort of inaccuracy problems and whatever was preventing him from throwing the deep ball. Yeah. It became sort of an RPO offense and a game managing thing. And like we, we, we have already seen, and frankly, we knew from his Auburn career, Nix is an accurate passer. Like if you can differ, if you, if you can differentiate bad passes from dumb passes, like those are two different things, right? Nix, you know, he makes some, he may make some dumb passes. He doesn't make bad passes. So that's already like a jump um, and a significant one and a, an appreciable one. Um, and, and then the other thing is like, well, you know, we've really only seen a couple of them, um, but like he can throw a deep ball, right? He threw that beautiful one to, to, uh, to Troy Franklin and Troy Franklin made him look like a genius. Um you know, Oregon didn't need to do much of that because they were so dominant in the run game against BYU. Um, and, and frankly, I, you know, I'm not sure how much of it you're going to see, but like, you know, I, I actually kind of dig it if, if it's only, you know, like one or two a game, you know, just really sort of shock the defense, um, you know, with that sort of stuff. Like, I am not a big fan of like that, that the most recent Rose bowl, the Utah, Ohio state Rose bowl, you know, the one I'm talking about. Oh yeah. Where it's just, yeah. Where it's just like every single, I mean, there were multiple like single play touchdown drives. Cause they're just like huge passes constantly. Like, um, I, uh, you know, I, I understand why fans dig that stuff. It's like, it's fireworks, but like, that's not, it's not sustainable and it's not like, um, there it's a high risk, you know, strategy and like, absolutely. Um, and like, you know, putting yourself in shootouts, um, you know, and not holding the ball. Cause like the down, you know, I, I assume that everybody understands the upside to what a single play touchdown drive can get you. The downside is you just took 15 seconds off the clock, you know, like how are you going to hold the lead like that? Mm-hmm. Um, so like, you know, there's a reason why run, 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 play action pass is a, a tried and true offensive strategy. And at the very least being, having the ability to run the ball is like essential to winning football games. You know, that's something that I've noticed with a lot of teams, you know, as I'm doing film study on Oregon opponents is like, yeah, your passing game is pretty good and you can, you know, jump out to maybe like a 10 point lead in the first quarter, but then you can't lock the game down. Like you have to keep, if you're, if you don't have a reliable run game, you have to keep pressing all the way to the wall, all the way to the end of the fourth quarter with that. And like, it only takes, you know, 
it, it only takes a little bit of an error to throw an interception, you know, and, and flip the game around, you know, on you. Uh, so like, I really like, you know, having a, a ball control type of offense, um, that then leverages that to take the top off. Like I, I like that mixture and, you know, I like the sequencing that Dillingham was doing, um, for the offense in this game. Um, now, you know, is that, uh, approach going to be effective um, against teams that are better uh, at stopping the run? Um, I'm not sure. I, will Dillingham have alternate, you know, game plans ready to go for those? I'm not sure yet. You know, like I said, Oregon's had a weird bunch of games. You know, they got run off the field by potentially the the second coming of Miami 2001. You know, like that that Georgia team may be may turn out to be one of the historically great teams in college football. Then they play an Eastern Washington team that's like, I think this is going to be one of their down years. They don't really have the, like, the offensive firepower that previous iterations of that team have had. And then they played what is probably an overrated BYU team that can't stop the run and can't run the ball themselves. Um, and it turned out, as I sort of suspected, that their pass defense is a bit of a mirage as well. Um, like, so, so that's a team that only had like one good quadrant of football, which was their passing offense. Like, well, that's not a great measuring stick for how good the, or this Oregon team is, you know, um, like Oregon doesn't really play a complete team until relatively late in the season. Um, and I think we might still be sort of playing a guessing game with Oregon, um, for much of the year. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And, um, Another thing that I that I kind of noticed that pertained to an article that I had written a few weeks ago was um, about Ty Thompson and you know was, was he ever really going to get his his crack to show what he was made of? Um, wanted to also see what your take was on that because uh, you know he he was given a crack against you know like BYU when it wasn't necessarily garbage time. It was mm. still kind of you know like it was had a very secure lead, but. Uh, I have to say, like I said, I, I just kind of have been disappointed by his 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 tentativeness and and his hesitancy to really just kind of go out there and step on the throat. Um, just considering all the hype surrounding him coming in, um, he you know he was given a great opportunity there to be like, okay, we can throw this kid in, and look, he's 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 gonna like step on the throat. He's gonna you know you know lead him on another drive. Uh, BYU is already on their heels. He and then. Unfortunately, what happened is, you know, BYU was able to stage kind of like a little a little mini surge there while he was in. And so kind of wanted to, yeah, real quickly while we were still on the subject of, you know, the quarterbacks, get your take on that about is, is, is really Ty Thompson's time in Oregon kind of fleeting and, and coming to an end with, with Dante Moore coming in. Um, sadly, I don't really have an, an opinion on that question. I, I do classify both of his drives as being during garbage time, which I don't, um, chart. And frankly, I haven't looked at that film yet. Like I'm saving it for a future project. Um, uh, um, uh, you know, where, where, where I'll look at the backups. Maybe I'll do that during the bye week this year. Maybe I'll just save it for the off season. Like it's good film and hopefully Oregon will blow out several of their opponents and I'll have <laughs> a good accumulation of garbage time film to talk about. But like, you know, I, what I recall from watching it and I just pulled up the play by play and I'm looking at it now, like I look, bad things happened while he was in as quarterback. 
I think that fans tend to way too quickly correlate those two things. Like, well, it happened on your watch, so you're responsible. I don't buy that. Uh, the first play that he's in for, uh, it's a, you know, it's a backwards pass to seven McGee. It bounces off of seven McGee's hands and it, you know, goes for a 22 yard loss. So now the next play is second and 36. You know, you, you tell me what the second and 36 play is, you know, like what's he supposed to do with that? Right. Um, you know, like, I guess it would be nice if he threw a deep shot, um, you know, uh, in that circumstance, but he's literally standing on his five yard line, you know, at that point. So they need to run the ball in order to get some operating room. So he's not standing in the end zone throwing passes because that's a safety risk. And then you're really starting, you know, to create problems. So they hand all the ball off and it's an 11 yard run for, by, by Bucky Irving. Right. So, okay, that's good. Uh, then, you know, next pass, uh, next play, uh, they get an offsides, uh, you know, on BYU. Uh, so, okay, now it's third and 20. Um, you know, like, uh, 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 you know, you, you know, you tell me, you know, what's he supposed to do on, th- on third and 20 winds up, you know, throwing to the tight end, the tight end can't, you know, ma- you know, make something happen and they have to punt cause they're, you know, deep in there. Like none of that's Ty Thompson's fault. And then the next drive, you know, first of all, Oregon starts off with an illegal substitution penalty. That's not Ty Thompson's fault. So now it's first and 15, you know, right. So, uh, they just, you know, they hand the ball off a couple of times. It's, you know, Marquis Irving, you know, pretty reliable back, right? Like made magic happen on that, you know, that, 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 like that big 36 yard run where he breaks like five tackles. Well, he doesn't break five tackles on that play, you know, you, you know, or the, the, the next one, he winds up being a tackle for loss. Right. So then, you know, last play that Ty Thompson is in on it's third and 16. Again, you tell me what the, what the gangbuster third and 16 play call is. Um, you know, he th- throws a pass. It was a perfectly catchable pass. Even the commentators, even Brock Heward, dirty Husky Brock Heward, you, who you would expect to take any opportunity to, to, to yell at the ducks, right. Actually, I'm being unfair. He's actually been a pretty good commentator and has left all that stuff behind. But anyway, like he's explicit, like this is not Ty Thompson's fault. That was a perfectly placed pass and it bounced off the dude's hands and it, you know, and it just leapt up in the air and got picked like nothing that happened in those uh, uh, eight plays is Ty Thompson's fault. Like, you know, the, 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 it's just, it's not that did not look to me like a, you know, good data set for coming to the conclusion that this dude sucks. Now, if you want to come to like the larger conclusion that like this guy has been on the team for a long time and he's never seized the reins. And so therefore he never will. And because in modern college football, you do that by your red shirt freshman year, or you're never going to do it. Like, I guess, I guess someone can make that argument. Like, and, and I don't know, you tell me, are, are you inclined to, to, to that? Uh, uh, state of mind? What do you think, Adam? Um, no. I mean, you know, I, I agree with a lot of what you said. And, and no, I'm not inclined to that state of mind because we've um, <clears throat> we've seen players progress to the point where you don't really see kind of like a, a lot of their full potential until later on. Um, I think... I mean, it used to be the, the norm and the understood thing was that kids don't play until like their junior year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so... Um, I think that, yeah, it, it, it may have to do a little bit with the fact that, um, you know, he, he hasn't really just had that opportunity to be the guy, to, to take the proverbial reins. And, um, you know, I agree. I think a, a lot of the things that kind of happened to him in the game um, are, are not necessarily his fault. They're just kind of like, you know, the, 
it just kind of ended up that way. Um, I think the only thing that um, a lot of fans might look at and expect sometimes of quarterbacks is that it, when you get one in and and he's a very hyped up, you know, high high blue chipper recruit, that you'll see a flash or two of what they can do. You'll 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 have that one play or two that you might see from them. You're like, whoa, okay, that's why he's you know, and so I think uh, that you're absolutely right. I don't think there's anything to look at Ty Thompson so far and nitpick and just be like, oh, he's he's, he's terrible. He's not, you know. I think what it is is just uh, fans are kind of waiting to see that 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 one or two plays where he shows that he's something special. You know, it could could be a, a, a deep ball. I mean, he had that deep ball to, to Franklin in the Stony Brook game last year. Like, you know, it was like a 50-yard touchdown pass, like. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. like, I understand why you know fans are frustrated because they want to see something and they haven't seen it yet. But like, I'm just here to say that, like, you know, you can't take I haven't seen it yet for, you know, it's never going to happen. Um, now, look, it it may never happen. Like, it, it may be that that's you know how that cookie crumbles. Um, it happens all the time that you know highly rated dudes are 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 bust. It doesn't really mean anything. Um, it just you know, th- that's how the cookie crumbles sometimes. Uh, but like to, to infer from those plays in this game that like this guy's a bust, like, come on, you know, go, go watch those plays. Like, you know, there it's that, that that's a bad inference, man. I, I, I don't buy it. Yeah. Yeah. Too, uh, too, too, too much judgment too soon, probably. Yeah, I mean, football fans are, are, are pretty mush. I'll, I'll, I'll give you another example of, of somebody who I think is being like uh, a little unfairly maligned by the Oregon fan. I, I published my article this morning, recording this on Tuesday night. And so like I usually don't take in any sort of social media stuff until I publish my article because I don't want to be like I find that I get really punchy, uh, you know, otherwise like I find like I wind up using my article in order to settle the score, you know, and so that's not good writing so i just don't read that stuff and so today i've been looking at it and and so like one of the guys you know or like in the comments to my articles you know there's been a lot of like doesn't trek was bridges suck as a cornerback and my response is like yeah he got beat on that first play and i put that clip in my article for like why he got beat but you got also got to remember because because his hips get flipped he's just like that's improper cornerback technique like of course you're not in a position to recover and strike um if that's the case and on top of that he falls down but then he gets up and makes the tackle and he stops the touch, you know, touchdown from being scored. And in fact, you know, the, the BYU had to punt, you know, despite that big play, you know, BYU still had to punt. And I think that's the reason why he's, he's starting right now is that I think that even though he's naturally built as a safety um, and he's sort of being pressed into service as a cornerback. And I think it's sort of waiting for Dante Manning and, or Jaleel Florence um, to sort of get up to, um, that level of reliability, but also be like natural cover corners. Um, at which point I, I think that they will move him back to safety or better yet move him to the nickel spot. Cause I think he can still cover better than Jamal Hill does. Um, like that would be ideal, uh, to my mind, but like, you know, there's another play where, you know, he's the guy covering and BYU hits a big pass, but like there's nothing, no cornerback could have stopped that pass. It was a perfectly placed fade where like the, 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 the wide receiver is like bending half of his body out of bounds. You remember this play? Um, 
yeah. I'm talking about Adam. Oh yeah. Like yeah. It, it, for, forget it, man. The best cornerback in the world can't stop that pass. There's nothing you can do about it. Like yeah. if the, if, if the quarterback is capable of placing it there and the wide receiver is capable of the body control to bend, you know, out of bounds in order to catch that pass, like forget it. Um, yeah. he's also got a great pass breakup in the end zone. That clip made my article too. And then the other thing is like, as I'm watching, you know, the game, you don't, fans don't watch this live. Like, it's really hard to pick up live. You're only going to pick up this in film study, but like 95% of the plays that Triquiz Bridges is out there playing, he's in man coverage and he's playing him just fine. And of course you don't notice that with cornerbacks, right? Cause like if a cornerback is doing his job perfectly, you, 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 the quarterback, the quarterback doesn't throw against him. And so you don't really notice, um, you, you notice when they have like sexy pass breakups, like that Christian Gonzalez one, which was like, Oh my God, my heart skipped a beat. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And, it's, you know, but if cornerbacks don't have sexy plays like that, you never notice that a cornerback is doing his job on like 95% of reps. And I sort of suspect that's what's going on right now. And that's the reason why he's playing and other dudes aren't. And so it's like you take the one play where he gets beat and then you take another play in which, you know, there's nothing he can do about it. And then you're like, you know, fans are like, well, two, two points make a line, you know, like that's it. I'm done. This guy's a bum. Get rid of him. And like, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm not here to say that I think he's an ideal corner. I definitely don't think that he is. He's not built as one. He's built as a safety. But like fans are way too quick, way too quick to, to grab the hook and like the like yank him, pull him. This guy is sinking our team. Um, uh, uh, yeah. And it's just like film study does not bear that out. Like, you know, understanding the context doesn't bear that out. And I, I, I hope that. Well, I'm glad that fans don't have a vote. <laughs> you know, I'm glad that the people who um, are making the decisions are the uh, you know guys doing film study and who are being paid a lot of money, um, which are the coaches. Uh, that's my take. Yeah. Yep. Pretty on point. Uh, all right. Let's take a break. Uh, we come back. We'll talk a little bit about um, Oregon's upcoming opponent, uh, Washington State. All right, Adam, uh, I have completed my film study of uh, Wazoo's first three games. Uh, I'll be writing up my article uh, to publish on Friday. Um, we've got a podcast interview um, with our sister site, Coog Center, uh, set up to record on Thursday. Um, so I'm looking forward to that conversation. It's always fun talking with those guys. Uh, they're, they're, they're good eggs. Um uh, like I said, watched all three games. Uh, they struggled a bit um, with Idaho. That was sort of largely driven by a lot of um, dumb fumbles that Wazoo was committing, which is sort of like, oh, ha- how ironic, because like that's that was Wazoo's big thing last year was they were forcing a lot of fumbles, and that sort of kept them in more games than maybe they should have been. Um, then they beat Wisconsin in uh, a, a real screwy game. Um, like if you just look at the box score, Wisconsin should have won that game by like two scores, but instead there was like the weird clock management decisions and um, like screwy, like it was an interception, but then it was a fumble and that happens twice. Um, you know, just a bizarre game. Um, and then they, they creamed Colorado state, um, which is a, a real bad team. In fact, the number one team in the nation for giving up sacks. So awesome. Um did you watch any of those games? Did you have an opinion about Wazoo? What, what are what are you thinking about uh, this team, Adam? Um, yeah, it's, it's tough to say. A lot of times with Wazoo, they can they can be kind of like a sneaky good team, or they can be like a sneaky bad team. It's it's mm. doesn't, doesn't ever really seem cut and dry with them. A lot of times, um, 
the Wisconsin game obviously is kind of like a signature win for them, winning at Camp Randall and everything like that. I, I do agree with your take, though, that it was kind of like if they played 10 times, Wisconsin would win nine of those. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, you know, like just, just one of those games where everything kind of bounced just their way and they were able to squeak it out. Uh, still hats off to them for being able to pull that off. Um, <clears throat> the Colorado State game didn't tell me a whole lot. Uh, as you said, Colorado State's a pretty bad team. It was expected that they would be dominated. Um, I think you would have to take a look at uh, at the game against Idaho as more of the measuring stick there. And I think that kind of tells you a little bit more about what you're dealing with with Washington State. Uh, I think they, like a lot of teams, tend to play to the level of their opponent. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they'll, you know, the... They tend to raise their game when it's when it's, when it's somebody that they think, oh, this is our chance to pull an upset. This is, you know, our chance to be noticed. Um, I know that they had been, um, you know, pushing heavily to try to get game day back up in Pullman, a place where, if if I remember correctly, I think game day's only been up there once. Yeah, once uh, for the twenty eighteen the Gar- Garner issue. Yeah, right. Year. Yeah, so it's victimized. Yeah, not li- not likely that game day is going to make a return trip up there anytime soon. Um, but yeah, I, it, to me, Washington State is another team like BYU, where I think if Oregon is not making consistent mistakes and not giving the game away, that they should win fairly comfortably. Um, I think that just if you you know you look at it on paper. The Ducks are just a more talented team. They are, you know, a more stacked football team. Uh, they're they're bigger. They're stronger. They they should be able to handle business. Now, again, you are talking about playing in Pullman, where anything can happen, and we all know that because we've seen it before. Uh, so you you never quite know. Uh, I guess the the good thing to hang your hat on is that this is uh, no longer a uh, Mike Leach coached uh, Washington State team because uh, we all know how much trouble yeah, right. the Mike Leach coached Washington State team gave It's interesting because they've gone back to the air raid and their offensive coordinator, Eric Morris, is a former Mike Leach player. But like everybody else who is a coach who comes off of Mike Leach's tree, they like, they don't want to run Mike Leach's version of the air raid. They want to hybridize it with other things. So like this version involves a tight end. It involves like planned uh, rushing. Um, although they're not very good at rushing. This is actually the thing that's really screwy about the team is that like, you know, I ran the numbers for their first three games. It's a defense led team. Their efficiency numbers on the offense um, for, for both passing and rushing um, are under water that you know they're only about 46 percent efficient um in the passing game they're only about 42 percent um uh you know efficient in the rushing game um and in fact they were so bad at, at running the ball against idaho that like if you just look at the two fbs games they're down to 36 percent you know versus um running the ball versus uh uh, uh wisconsin and um in colorado state um it's uh, uh, it, it's sort of remarkable, you know. They're they're just you know, it's not a particularly efficient offense. I don't think that their quarterback is a real great. Um, he's he's his mechanically really weird. He's really dangerous at a couple of throws, but it's just those couple of things. Um, 
and uh, uh, they don't really push the ball down the field particularly well. Um, it's a it's it's really a, a sort of short passing you know offense. Um, and uh, on the other hand, their defense has been you know pretty damn good. Um, they're they're sixty three percent against the pass. They're fifty six percent against the run. Now, I think a lot of that has to do with the opponents that they play. They essentially played two patsies, you know, an FCS game and 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 Colorado State, which might as well be an FCS game. And then Wisconsin, I just I don't like the way that they are executing their offense this year. Um, they, you know, Wisconsin is the type of team that's like we'll run into an eight man box. You know, we're going to run. We know that you have an eight man box. We're going to try to run anyway because we're happy with three yards. And then they get three yards and that's like that's a failed run in my book um at least with on first and ten um and like wisconsin just sort of does it anyway and, and so like that i i think that sort of like kind of artificially juices wazoo stats you know what i mean but at the same time like it's clearly a better um defense than they've had um during the mike leach era where like their defense was just a joke um this is like you know, actually halfway decent, you know, defense, how uh, excellent it is, I think is still up for debate. Like I think their opponents have presented them a lot of um, opportunities and sort of battle. basically, I think that Wisconsin is Wazoo's BYU, right? Like, you know, I just, we, we just finished talking about how BYU is probably an overrated team and that there was an obvious strategy to beat them. Um, and I sort of feel like Wisconsin this year is, is probably a pretty overrated team. Um, cause their offensive line is just not good enough for like their offensive line has really fallen off since, since 2019 when Oregon played them in the Rose bowl, like, and, and they're just not able to run the ball as effectively as they used to. And then they're not, you know, I don't think that Graham Mertz is a very good quarterback. Um, Wisconsin fans seem to like him because I don't know why their expectations for quarterbacks seem to be, you know, really weird, you know, for a state that has had, you know, Aaron Rodgers in it for like 20 years, it's really weird how Wisconsin fans, you know, uh, how, how okay with mediocre quarterbacks they are. I really don't get it anyway. Uh, yeah, I, I, I sort of think that Wazoo's defensive stats are somewhat inflated, but I not, I don't think they're hugely inflated. I think, don't think it's a total mirage. I think Oregon's offense will actually be tested by this Wazoo defense. Um, um, I, I think it'll be really interesting to watch Oregon's offensive line versus this like really speedy defensive front. Um, and you know, I think that should be a good measuring stick. Um, on the, on the other hand, you know, Wazoo's offense is just not that, that scary. And, you know, I sort of expect, uh, you know, quite a few three and outs. And I think that Oregon might wind up pursuing a similar strategy as they did against BYU, which is just to run the ball down their throat and just do it so more effectively than Wisconsin did. Um, and uh and i don't know oregon fans might be bored to tears by it but like it sort of is the obvious strategy is just to take the air out of the ball you know what i mean oh yeah yeah um pretty much just do exactly what we were doing to stanford last year minus the uh huge choke job yeah right that's yeah why why, why'd you bring that up now um (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, uh, stay tuned for my article. My, my thoughts are not fully formed yet on, on this subject, but like, I guess this is like early warning ducks fan. Uh, there is an obvious strategy for shutting down Wazoo that it may not be fun football to watch unless you really enjoyed what they were doing against BYU, in which case like, Hey, you might see it again. Yeah. Why not? All right. I think that's going to do it for me this week. Uh, you have any parting thoughts for us, Adam? Um, just that, uh, you know, uh, the, the game against BYU was a, a great pick me up for Oregon fans everywhere. 
I do agree with you, though. Uh, don't get too ahead of yourselves. Just like don't get too down on yourselves after week one. Mm. Um, Georgia, with what they've done and even what they did this past Saturday, has proven that, yes, they are that good. So, you know, take that with a grain of salt and then understand that what we did against BYU was great. But like you said, BYU, you know, is, is, is not really like a you know, New Year's Six kind of team or anything like that. Uh, we, we're still figuring out what this Oregon team is. Uh, could this Oregon team still have great success and maybe be headed to Pasadena? Of course it could. Um, we won't really know until later in the season. Uh, the good thing to know is that I, I think, like I said, that, that biggest test against Utah will happen in Autzen, where Oregon has now tallied 21 straight victories, uh, proving that it really has a big home field advantage. Yeah, I dig it, man. You know, the way that the schedule sets up, you know, I'm looking at conference play right now, you know, Wazoo and Pullman, a little scary. Arizona State in Tucson, a little scary. But like, uh, you know, I really like getting Stanford and uh, UCLA and Washington and Utah all in Autzen. Um, Like, you know, the, 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 the Autzen advantage is real um that the, they've lost two games in five years at Autzen Stadium like it's crazy it's far and away the best home record in the Pac-12 for the last five years um and uh and the other thing sort of like what I was saying earlier is that like every team on Oregon's good like the the first six you know, games that they play in conference game, you know, Wazoo, Stanford, Arizona, UCLA, Cal, Colorado. Some of them are just straight up bad, you know, Colorado uh, is straight up bad. Um, But like, you know, the rest of them are, they're not complete teams. You know, they're not teams that are like, I'm good at all four quadrants of football. They don't play a team that looks like that. I think until November, Um, you know, Washington, and that game's in Autzen. And then the next week, you know, Utah and that game's in Autzen. I like, I really yeah. like, I, I really like this ramp up for the Ducks, um, you know, uh, 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 that we're going to be watching over the next um, six games over seven weeks. There's the bye in between Arizona and UCLA. Um, yeah, this, this should be, I, I think, um, uh, sort of, you know, Dan Lanning gets to put this team through its paces for its next six games against incomplete teams, teams that are good at some things, but have other vulnerabilities. Um, and, uh, on, and they probably don't face a complete team until November, which like, yeah, yeah. I like the way that that sets up. Yep. It's not how you start, it's how you finish. All right. Uh, I think we'll wrap it up there. Uh, Thanks for joining me, Adam. Uh, Thanks, everybody, for uh, listening, and we'll catch you on the flip side.